Well, let's take our Bibles this morning, and uh, we're going to be looking at some passages in Psalms, Matthew, um, Colossians, 1 Corinthians. We're just going to hang out for a while, all right? They say some people come to church to leave, and they, uh, they watch the clock. We've been trying real hard to get you out in one hour because our political leaders asked the church leaders to try to shorten their services down some, and we've honored that. And uh, we've cut an hour and a half church service down to about an hour on Sunday mornings. And uh, we're going to continue to do that again this morning. But, uh, but there's some uh, important truths and some passages that I want to link together for you and uh, think about the title of the message Since you don't have a printed handout in front of you, the title of the message is, Did You Memorize the Wrong Verse? Did you actually memorize the wrong verse? We know that the Bible is key uh, to our lives. It is uh, the foundation of our lives. It provides for us a, uh, a foundation of strength in our lives that is irreplaceable. We know from the passage of Scripture we read just a few moments ago, Psalm 119, that we read and memorize the Word of God for different reasons. The one that's mentioned in this text is, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The Word of God is foundational to our lives, and we... And, and, and the Word of God, as we read it, meditate on it, memorize it, it shapes our behavior. It helps us to know what is pleasing to God, what is not pleasing to God, so that we can choose to live a life that does not sin against our God. And so that's a great purpose in the Word of God. And, and the only time the word success is found in the Bible is in Joshua chapter 1, which is the record of God's people at the beginning of God's people having the printed Word of God. Moses had just written Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then Moses dies, and Joshua chapter 1 says, if you want success in your life, it'll be based on your ability to have the Word of God in your mouth. In other words, you've learned it so well that you talk the Word of God when you think of subjects and talk to people. And so the Word of God is, is foundational in shaping our behavior so that we live lives pleasing to God. And it brings to us success in life. Let me ask you the question this morning. Is it possible to memorize the wrong verse? To meditate and think on the wrong verse? And I want to suggest to you that, yes, if you memorize and meditate on the wrong verse, it can have a result of leading you in directions that are not healthy for you as an individual. I thought I'd get some tomatoes right about there on that one. Now... Without doubt, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. But you know, some verses of the Bible are written to somebody that's not you. 
And if you find yourself focused on some verses, it can actually create within you some things that are not healthy for you. We need to understand this if we ever find ourselves wondering, why don't others do what they ought to be doing for me? You're thinking about the wrong verse. Who dropped the ball around here? You're thinking about the wrong verse. When will others do such and so? There's something else that you need to be focusing on. Here's the, the bottom line up front this morning. Focus on your opportunity to serve, not on others' responsibility to serve you. If you're focused on what other people ought to be doing for you, you're memorizing the wrong verse. And you're focusing on the wrong principle. Our focus is always to be on how I serve others, not on how others serve me. My responsibility is always to be, how can I make a difference in somebody else's life? Not, why aren't they doing what they should be doing for me? To make my life better. There's a principle here that I think is profound in life. And uh, when we focus on what others should do toward us but aren't, we can become demanding. And we can fail to see our responsibility to be a servant to them. Because we're focused on their failure to serve us adequately. And that creates demanding, prideful self-serving individuals. Could it be that you're focusing on the wrong verse? Well, where do we find this kind of thing taught in the Bible? Well, I find it three places I want to look at you, look at with you. First of all is in Jesus' teaching. Second is in Jesus' experience. And then third is in a couple of Bible examples where we see this principle uh, brought out. We're going to start with Jesus' teaching. So come over to the New Testament with me. And let's go to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're jumping into the middle of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. A sermon that most people recognize as a foundational sermon to the ministry of Jesus Christ. As he laid out a very detailed explanation about how his kingdom is to operate and how people are to live their lives as members of his kingdom that are subject to him, that are in submission to him. Now, I'm going to jump into the middle of this sermon, pick up one uh, tread, uh, one uh, theme or one tread of thought. And uh, it's found in verse number 41. It, the particular specific statement is found in verse number 41. But let me back up and let you get me to uh, follow, get you to follow with me. From verse number 38. Verse 38 says, You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, take, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him Twain. Now, what is that all about? Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. 
The Roman Empire ruled the world at that time, and one of the things that Rome had done that was a benefit to all cultures was that they had built a, built a network of roads. You've heard the saying, all roads lead to Rome. And they had built out from Rome a network of roads to all of the nations that they had subjugated. And they even had mile markers on those roads. And for any part of their empire that was under their control, they reigned supreme. And as soldiers who were all over the Roman Empire, carrying out the bidding of the Roman government, those soldiers were decked out with substantial armament and shield and protective gear. And it was known that any Roman soldier anywhere in the Roman Empire had the right to tell any individual that was in a country that they had conquered, if the Roman soldier said to you, carry my gear, you had no choice. Roman law said you had to stop whatever you were doing and carry that soldier's gear for one mile. And so that became a very hated law by people that had been subjugated under Rome. And if a Roman soldier said to you, and you're on your way on an errand, you're going to do something, you have plans, you're busy, you've got your day planned out, and a Roman soldier says, hey, you, carry my gear. You had to stop whatever you were doing, pick up that man's gear, carry it, and the roads had road markers, carry it one mile. At the end of that mile, you could put it down, and you were under no obligation to go any further. Now, Rome was a hated empire by the Jewish people. The Jewish people didn't appreciate the Roman presence in Israel. They resented the fact they had to pay taxes to Rome. They resented the fact that Roman soldiers had the right to stop them and make them carry their gear for a mile. And that they had no recourse but to carry it for a mile. So imagine... The Roman soldier says to you as an Israeli citizen, carry my gear. You would pick it up. You would carry it for one mile, resenting every step you took. At the end of the mile, you'd spit on the ground at his feet. You'd drop his gear and you'd turn around and walk a mile back to wherever you were to pick up whatever you were doing. Now imagine the shock. When Jesus Christ said, if that man compels you to carry his gear for a mile, as a subject of my kingdom, as a Christian, living your life under the instruction of your God, I'm telling you in my kingdom, when you have completed what was required by Roman law, look at the soldier and say, would you mind, sir, could I carry it another mile for you? Imagine the shock to the people that Jesus is teaching as he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. And as he says to them, I require you to go the second mile. And that's where, we, that's where that phrase comes from. You realize... An awful lot of English phrases come directly out of the Bible. 
The Bible shaped our English language. It shaped our, our cliches, our, our sayings. A lot of people who don't believe the Bible quote the Bible about every week in some way or another. And imagine the shock of those people when Jesus Christ said, I want you to not do what's expected of you. I want you to see yourself as a servant to that Roman soldier. Not a servant that only does what you have to do, but a servant that's willing to help them by doing what you don't have to do. And take his stuff a second mile. You see, Jesus Christ is emphasizing that in his kingdom, we're to see ourselves as servants to everyone around us. And we are to be willing to always do more than what we're told to do. To volunteer to do more than we're paid to do. To be willing to do more than what's expected of us. Because we're to always go the second mile. Willingly, we are to do more as we serve others. We're not focused on what they should do for us and whether they're doing it or not. We're focused on what we can do to serve them and make their life better. What a profound teaching we find here from Jesus Christ. Then turn back a little bit further to Matthew chapter 20. Let me show you another word where Jesus, another place where Jesus taught this concept. In this passage, in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus Christ is walking towards Jerusalem at the end of his ministry, and he's dealing with uh, some uh, some of his disciples that are fixated on themselves. They're selfish. They're prideful. They're not thinking about how they can serve. The ones around them, they're thinking how they can get what they want. And in Matthew chapter 20 and verse, uh, and verse number 20, the Bible says that the mother of Zebedee's children came to him with her sons, worshiping him, desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou, she saith, grant that these my two sons may sit? One on the right hand, one on the left of, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of? Be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We're able. In other words, the, the, the guys were in cahoots with their mom. Yeah, we're able to do that, Lord. And he saith unto them, Ye shall indeed drink. And you shall indeed uh, drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten, the other ten of the twelve disciples heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know what the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. 
Here's another place where Jesus Christ taught this principle of serving others, not looking for opportunities for others to serve me. Here we find Jesus Christ dealing with a couple of guys that wanted the position in front of the other ten. They were thinking about themselves. They weren't saying, hey, hey, Jesus, I think Peter and John, I think, I think uh, uh, Matthew and uh, some of these guys need to be in the place of honor right beside you because they're such great servants. Now, now they're, they're not thinking about others. They're thinking about themselves. Lord, I think, uh, I think my brother and I, I think we ought, we ought to be sitting at the right and left hand of you on your, on your throne. I mean, you know, we ought to have top position. It ought to revolve around us. And Jesus said, you know, that's the way the world thinks. The world of authority structures think that way. That whoever's at the top of the authority structure is there for their benefit and everybody else serves them. But that's not how my authority structure works. In my kingdom, it doesn't work that way. If you want to be at the top position, get on your knees with a pail of water and a rag and wash some people's feet. If you want to be... The one at the top, learn how to serve people. Because in my structure, in my leadership structure, the leaders serve. It's not the people that serve the leaders. This is revolutionary. This is upside down. This is not the way the human mind works. This is not what you expect in humanity. Usually we're used to pride and ego and what's in it for me and what are you going to do for me today and who dropped the ball around here and didn't do what they were supposed to do and it's always somebody else. But in Jesus Christ's kingdom, he turns it upside down and he says, no, your position is a servant. I want you to learn how to serve people. I, I want you to focus on what you can do for others not what they can do or should be doing for you. Someone once said, you know you have become a servant-hearted person. How do you know if you've become a servant-hearted person? If you were to stop and think, am I a servant-hearted person? What would, you, what would you come up with? You analyze your life, your heart, your attitudes, your actions, what you do day by day. And someone asks you, are you a servant-hearted hearted person. What would you say? Do you think you're a servant-hearted person or not? Someone said you can know if you're a servant-hearted person if someone treats you like a servant and you don't get mad at them. That's a good little test. If someone treats you like a servant and you don't get upset at them, then you know you have become a servant-hearted person. You see yourself as a servant. I remember Gil Hansen, who left his command on the Pacific Ocean, uh, on one of the Pacific fleets, commander of a destroyer, took, his, took early retirement to become the administrator of the Christian school over at Fairfax Baptist Temple, served as the administrator for many years until he retired. I remember Gil Hansen, from a military background, commander of a, a destroyer ship on the Pacific Ocean. Uh, Gil Hansen used to say, Perfect leadership exists when the person in leadership doesn't realize they're in charge and the people under their leadership never forget that they're in charge. When the people under leadership 
are focused on what the leader ought to be doing, and the person in leadership is focused on what the people under him ought to be doing, then it's very easy to create prideful, ego-demanding people. And Jesus Christ said, you want to be chief? Wash some feet. You want to be chief? Learn how to serve. Because that's how my kingdom works. It's upside down from what the world expects. Well, there's two places where Jesus taught some important lessons about, about servant leadership. Let me, let me uh, get you to uh, notice here in Matthew 20 uh, a second place where I see this in the Word of God. And that second place is not just in Jesus' teaching, but it's in Jesus' example. Look at verse number 28. We stopped reading at verse number 27. Look at verse number 28. Even as. In other words, let me give you an illustration of this principle of servant leadership. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ is the perfect example of servant leadership. Jesus Christ, creator God, came to earth not to be ministered to. I mean, we're talking about the creator. If there's anyone that deserves to demand people, get on your knees. I just walked in the room. What are you doing standing up? If there's anyone that has the right to demand that people fall before his presence, it was Jesus Christ. But he said, that's not what it's about. I didn't come for everyone to fall prostrate in front of me. And worship me. I came to serve you. I came as a servant. I'm not fixated on what I deserve as your creator. I'm fixated on the opportunity for me to serve you as the one who will give his life a ransom for many. This is a profound example of leadership. This turns everything upside down in leadership for Christian people. Those who are in leadership are in leadership for the opportunity to serve other people. They're not in leadership for the opportunity to be served by other people. Important principle. Jesus modeled it as the one who came to be a servant, to minister to, to and to give his life. A ransom for many. Okay, so we see it in Jesus' teaching, teaching on servant leadership. We see it in Jesus' example. He was the premier servant leader. Now let me show you a couple of examples in the Bible. Turn with me over to Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter number 1. I want to show you some things that I have observed as I've read my Bible over the years and studied my Bible. Two things, two arenas of life where this becomes very profound. One arena of life is in the life of the church. The other arena of life is in our homes. I'm going to take the church first. And so in Colossians chapter 1, I want you to notice something that is said. And uh, what I want you to see in the life of the church, what we're going to see is the, is, is the relationship and the attitudes between leaders of the church and members of the church. And in this 
relationship, we can see an example where if you focus on the wrong verse, you can become a demanding person that's expecting something out of other people. Instead of a humble person looking for an opportunity to serve other people. Let me show it to you. In Colossians chapter 1, look at verse number 7. This is one pastor writing to a church family, a church family in the city of Colossae, about their pastor by the name of Epaphras. And he said, as ye also learned of Epaphras. Epaphras was the church planter who planted the church. He was their pastor. And he's Paul writing to the church at Colossae, to the membership, said to the members, you've learned this of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. Now notice how Paul wants the people to view their pastor. Who is for you. Notice the phrase for you. Do you see that? Who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. You notice that? For you of Christ. When the Bible speaks to the membership of the church, the Bible says to the membership of the church that you should view the leaders of the church as Jesus' servant for your benefit. That God put the leader here not to serve me. God put the leader here to serve him. And as the pastor follows the leadership of God and does what God leads him to do, it'll be for our benefit. Now, hold your place there, but turn over a few pages, or turn back a few pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I want you to notice verse number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 5. Here we have a statement in Scripture where a pastor is speaking in reference to other pastors and how pastors view themselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 5, the Bible says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, you see the difference? How should a pastor view himself? Not as God's servant for you, so you do what I say. That was written to church members. That wasn't written to pastors. But how should a pastor view himself? A pastor views himself, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves. What do we preach about ourselves? How do we view ourselves as pastors? We as pastors view ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, if a pastor goes around saying, hey, I just walked in the room. Give me some respect. Don't you know I'm God's servant for your sake? So you respect me. We'd say that is very distasteful. Yes, because that's a pastor that's an egomaniac. He should walk into this group of people and say, is there anything I can do for you? How can I serve you? I'm your servant as your pastor. I'm your servant. And if I serve you, then Jesus will be glorified. But if you look at the pastor that way, and he walks in the room and you say, hey, Come here, Pastor. i got something for you to do. And you view him as your servant for Jesus' sake. Then that's distasteful. Now here's 
I titled the sermon what I did. Are you memorizing the wrong verse? If as a church member, you become fixated on 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, you will develop a bad view of the way the church operates. You ought not memorize that verse. You ought not focus on that verse. You ought not focus on, well, the pastor's our servant for Jesus' sake. That's not the verse you should be focusing on. What you should be focusing on as a church member is Colossians chapter 1. Our pastor is God's servant for our sake. Do you see where if you, if you focus on the verse that was not written to you, it can lead you to some bad attitudes in your relationships. Because you begin to see other people as enabling and serving you instead of seeing yourself as a servant to other people. Very clear. Read those two passages and meditate on them. Very clear that when addressing the church members, God wants church members to view the pastor in a certain way. But when addressing pastors, God wants pastors to view themselves the opposite of what he wants church members to view themselves. Isn't that interesting? Could you be memorizing the wrong verse? Could you be focusing on the wrong verse? Could you be thinking, well, why didn't the pastor do such and so? Or could the pastor be thinking, why don't the members do such and so? And if I'm focusing on the wrong verse, I'm expecting out of somebody else something that makes me demanding. But if I'm focusing on the right verse... That I'm seeing myself as a servant to people. And that's what Jesus taught we're to be. And that's what Jesus modeled. That he was a servant to people. Always serving others. Let me show you. Let me show you another place. Where it's in the home. Go to Ephesians chapter number 5. Let me show you how, you, how the same thing comes out in relationship to the home. The relationships in the home. You have Ephesians 5? Look at verse number 22. Who is being addressed in verses 22 to 24? Who's it written to? Who? Say that loud. Wives. Verse 22. Wives. Okay? Look at verse 25. And the context goes from verse 25 to 30. Who's verse 25 to 30 written to? Who? Husbands. Now, what happens if you memorize the wrong one? What happens if you focus on the wrong one? In verse number 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, the Savior of the body, therefore is the church. Be subject unto Christ, let the wives be their own husbands in everything. The husband reads that and gets to memorizing that. The husband memorizes that verse and he looks at his wife and says, Hey, 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 wife, you ever read this? I want you to memorize this verse, wife. What's he doing? He's memorizing the wrong verse. That wasn't written to him. That was written to wives. Husbands shouldn't be reading that. Husbands shouldn't be memorizing that. Husbands shouldn't be meditating on that. You know what will happen if you meditate on that a lot as a husband? You'll get to thinking, yeah, that's what my wife's supposed to be doing. 
I think we're going to have family devotions tonight. Not where we're going to have it from. Hey, hon, I heard this sermon on Ephesians 5, 22. I want you to listen to it. It's a real good sermon. I want you to hear this. What happens when you read the wrong verse? It just might be if you read the wrong verse. You may be thinking, someone ought to be serving me. Someone ought to be doing some things for me they're not doing. And all of a sudden, I became ego-driven. I become selfish. And I begin to look at somebody and what they're not doing for me. And when I focus on what people are not doing for me, then that can lead me down some bad paths in my personality and the way I live my life. Same thing's true in verse number 25 and down. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, don't memorize that. Wives, don't read those verses. Wives read those verses and they say, I, I'm married to a scoundrel. He doesn't love me like Christ loves the church. Hey, husband, come here. I want you to read this verse. You're not doing that for me. You're not doing that for me. You're not doing that for me. And so all of a sudden, he wants his wife to begin to serve him better. To love her better. She wants her husband to love her better. Because she wants to point out to her husband what he's not doing right. What's her focus? Her focus is on the wrong verse. Her focus is on what are you doing for me today. And whenever you're focused on what others should be doing for you, then that has the potential of building within you a... Uh, an ego, self, selfish spirit that wants to be served. A few weeks ago, uh, you as a church family gave to all of our graduates a book that we've given out every so often, every so many years we give it out to the graduates, high school and college graduates. QBQ, the question behind the question. Practicing personal accountability at work and in life. I've gotten some notes back from some of the seniors that, and, and even a family member of a senior that, uh, that uh, read the book and then wrote back and uh, thanked, uh, really thanked you. I didn't buy it with my own money. It was purchased with, with church funds as a church gift to these seniors. But, but they sent the thank you back to me. So thank you in their place. Thanking uh, the church for the book and mentioning the benefit and the value that it had and pressure it had on them. But you know what really amazes me? That that, that book, it, it was written by a businessman about character of a person's life that enables them to be more successful in the business world. But what's remarkable about it is what he said in a very humorous and very practical way is taught in the Word of God. It is the principles that Jesus Christ taught, that Jesus Christ modeled, that we read in the Word of God, that a businessman took and put in business language to help business people to be able to be more effective. By not approaching life from the vantage point of what others should be doing to make my life better or easier, but rather approaching life from the vantage point of how I can make other people's lives better. Do you understand what that is? That's learning to live out the character of God 
in daily living. Because that's the way God is. God is a servant leader. And when I learn to become a servant leader, in whatever spheres of life I'm talking about, then I become more like God. I'm living like God. I'm following the example of God. I remember, I'll never forget, when John Stone came. John Stone, uh, uh, every couple of days it would seem that we'd be doing something, then, then we'd be partying and going in different directions. And John Stone would stop and say, oh, uh, is, there, is there anything that I can do for you today? I said, no, nothing comes to mind. We'd go on. And a couple of days later, we'd be somewhere. He said, hey, uh, is, is there anything I can do for you today? And I thought, that, that's interesting. Then it wasn't long after that, I heard evangelist John Getch preaching a sermon. And then, and then uh, things began to come together. You see, John Stone came here from Lancaster Baptist Church, West Coast Baptist College in California. And John Getch was on staff there in those institutions. And John Getch, in a sermon, gave an illustration and was telling how Paul Chapel taught their staff to always ask people the question, is there anything I can do for you today? He said every day, ask people the question. He was teaching his staff to be servant leaders. And one little practical thing he required of his staff is that before you leave, anyone you're talking to, before you leave them, always ask them, is there anything I can do for you today? And John Getch told the story about how he did that all the time. And one day, he was making a hospital visit for a gentleman to, to a gentleman who was in the hospital from the church. And he was busy. He had errands to run. He, was, he had crafted out just enough time to drive across the city to this hospital. He got in there, and, and, he, and he was trying try to do what he needed to do. And then he had so much that was waiting on him. And so as he was leaving, he remembered he's always supposed to ask, is there something I can do for you today? So he stopped at the door, and he turned back to the gentleman. He says, by the way, is there anything I can do for you today? And John Getch said, the guy said, yes. And John Getch says it blew his mind. Paul Chaplin never taught him what to do if someone says yes. He said, no one ever says yes. Everyone always says, no, I got it covered. He said, we weren't taught what to do when they say yes. And so he was dumbfounded. He said, well, uh, well, uh, what can I do for you today? He said, you know, I've always wanted a pair of brown wingtip shoes like Pastor Chapel wears. They're black wingtip shoes like Pastor. He said, I'd really love a pair of those shoes. <laughs> and John gets his... Okay, uh, what size do you wear? And he said he went running from mall to mall trying to find, finding this pair of shoes to be able to give back to this person because he had been taught to serve other people. And I thought, that's where John Stone got it. So the next time John Stone asked me, by the way, is there anything I can do for you? I said, yeah. He says, I've always wanted a pair of black wingtip shoes. <laughs> Are you a servant leader? Do you view life as an opportunity to serve other people? You see, this is very unnatural to humanity. Because in humanity, we're often selfish people. And we want others to serve us. And then Jesus Christ comes along and saves us. And in our salvation, we get a new nature. And we become a new person. 
Old things are passed away. All things become new. Our lives are transformed and we begin to grow into the likeness of Christ as the Holy Spirit conforms us to the image of Jesus Christ. And little by little, we learn not to be selfish, not to view relationships for what I can get out of another person, but to, get, to begin to live life as if I'm here as a servant to everybody, and my focus is always what I can do for other people, not what other people can do for me. And if that's not natural to you now, you can probably uh, assume that one of two things is true. Either you're not saved, or you're early in your Christian experience and the Holy Spirit is still working to conform you to the image of Christ. In a practical way, we need to always be memorizing the right verses. The verses about my responsibility to others, not the responsibility of other people to me. And when I meditate and think about the right verses, I become more like God and I care more about people. Which is it for you? Servant-hearted? Still growing? Or selfish unsaved? Thank you for joining us for part of a Sunday service at Community Baptist Church. I hope to meet you soon. May God impress His love upon your heart this week.